Good morning, Embassy Church. It's good to see every one of you. Um, happy Ascension Sunday. Um, it's, as we heard earlier, it is about 40-ish days after Jesus ascended from Easter, so, or rose from the grave. I am David Maroos. For any of those that don't know me, I see a few faces that I don't fully recognize. Um, I've been coming to Embassy for about a year and a half, been a member for close to a year now, and I'm a current student at Moody Bible Institute. I'm studying children and family ministries, and I'll be a senior this upcoming year. If you haven't seen me in the last few weeks, that's because I started an internship down in the pumpkin capital of the world, Morton, Illinois, farm town, 17,000 people. It's been, it's been wonderful. Now, Phil called me uh, fairly short notice about a week or so ago, and he said, hey, David, do you know what next Sunday is? I said, no. <laughs> and he said, it's Ascension Sunday. I said, okay. And he was like, and, um, well, I'm going to get surgery, and I need someone to preach. So I was wondering if you would be willing to do it. So I excitedly was like, yeah, sure, just let me see what my pastors here at the church I'm interning at say. They were on board, so I'm really excited, really excited, and then I'm really excited. I started getting a little nervous. I was like, what am I going to say? Phil told me, if anything, mention the ascension. You don't have to preach on it, just at least mention it somewhere in your sermon. But at the end of the day, I am just so excited to have this privilege to share God's word with you, Embassy Church, today. And the passage I chose today could not be more timely than on this Ascension Sunday. This passage reminds us that Jesus, our Lord, ascended into heaven and now sits eternally at the right hand of the throne of God forever. Yet he also sympathizes with our weaknesses. This Jesus who ascended into the clouds is our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf before the Father in heaven above. Our passage for today is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, found on page 943 of your pew Bibles. This passage reminds us not to lose heart, but rather come confidently before Jesus who sits enthroned on the throne of grace and helps us in our times of need. Now as you turn your attention to Hebrews 4, I'll ask you to follow along as I read the living, active word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. As we read this passage, I want you to note a phrase. This phrase is, let us. It will be mentioned twice in these three verses alone. This will illustrate an encouragement or act to do something. 
Know also what title this passage gives to Jesus. With that in mind, follow along with me, starting in Hebrews 4, that is the big four, and the little 14. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, enthroned in heaven, we ask for your help today. Help us to come to you with confidence in temptation and times of need because of the grace and mercy you give to us through Christ, our great high priest. Father, speak through me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Let these words I say not be mine, but yours. Amen. The big idea of this passage, if you want a short, pithy phrase, is draw near to the throne of grace in times of need. Draw near to the throne of grace in times of need. We're all aware We live in a fallen and broken world. Life is filled with great struggles and temptations to sin. And in the temptations to sin, or even when we fall into sin itself, we must remember Jesus is our great high priest, as verse 14 says. Today I want to point us back to the reality of the Father who sent his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, the man who suffered in temptation but never sinned himself, the one who helps us in the, t- the temptation of sin in this fallen world, and the one who defeated sin and death forever and then ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In life, there's so many times when we feel as though the weight of sin is crushing us to despair and the temptations of sin are just too much to bear. My prayer today is that you are reminded to draw near to his throne of grace in times of need. And now if you're paying any attention to the news this last week. I'm sure you're aware of the tragedy that has taken place with an elementary school in Texas this past Tuesday morning, where a total of 19 children and two adults were killed in a shooting by an 18-year-old boy who just before shot his grandmother. And the reasons for this are not yet fully known In these horrific events, it is easy to lose heart 
and become discouraged and question God's plans. It's easy to feel lost and not know how to process these devastating times. Discussions of this matter may even tempt us to lash out in anger at those around us or close down and not say anything. I know it's easier to let your anger and sadness dictate your reaction rather than to run to the throne of grace on which Jesus sits, our king, enthroned forever. Even He sits there even in a tragedy such as this. So when in times we are tempted to react in sin or despair over life itself, I plead with you, draw near to the throne of grace. Come before a man who understands your every need, our every temptation to sin. In these times of brokenness, would we come before our great high priest who intercedes on our behalf before the Father in heaven. This is what Hebrews 14 through 16 is teaching us, that Jesus, our great high priest, was tempted to sin, yet did not. And because of this, we can boldly draw near to him in our times of need. This exhortation, this encouragement in Hebrews is followed along with the theme of the book in which the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know is, has written this letter to express that Jesus is superior to everything. He's better than any angel, any priest, any old covenant institution. Anything created, Jesus is better. The recipients of this letter are called not to forsake their faith in Christ, but rather hold to their original confidence in Jesus firm to the end. For they needed a reminder to endure through the persecutions, trials, and needs of life. I pray this passage will remind each of you, no matter the temptations to sin or sin committed, that you can take comfort in the reality of our Savior who is currently enthroned in heaven and is interceding on your behalf before God the Father so that we may find grace and mercy in times of need. Now, as I mentioned earlier in my introduction, I asked you to note the phrase, let us. In these three verses, we see that this phrase Again, is an encouragement to do something or to act. This phrase will be the structure of the main point or premise of this sermon. My two main points will be, one, let us hold fast. And two, let us draw near. With that being said, let us jump into the first point. And my first point, let us hold fast, will be constructed of three questions. These three questions will answer the what do we hold fast to, the who do we hold fast to, and the why 
do we hold fast? So we see in Hebrews 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the what? What do we hold fast to? To our confession. This confession is our faith in the Son of God, who is, as Hebrews 1 through 3 through 4 says, is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature, and who is and who upholds the universe by the power of his word. The one who, after making purifications for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Our confession is our faith in the gospel. Faith in the man who is, who was, as Hebrews 2, 17, 18 says, he was made like his brothers in every respect so that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people whom himself has suffered when tempted and is able to help those who are being tempted. So what do we hold fast to? We hold fast to our confession, which is our faith in the gospel. Hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to your confession in Jesus, which is the who. The second question. Jesus, the one who fulfills all promises, the very hope of our salvation, our great high priest. We have confidence in the gospel because of Jesus. We hold fast to Jesus. Now, this is an important reality for Jesus to be our high priest. So let me explore briefly a short history lesson of what the high priest is in the Old Testament and Jewish custom. Why that is important for us here now in Hebrews. Under the Old Covenant law, the high priest would pass through three areas, the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place. To make an atoning sacrifice for the Israelite people. And one day every year, on the day of atonement, the high priest of Israel would enter into the most holy place to make an atonement for the sins of the people, as we see in Leviticus 16. Now the temple was only a copy or image of the heavenly reality, as we see in Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Because Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection, ascension, he accomplished redemption. And this earthly image was replaced by a heavenly one. Only the high priest could offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people. When God would come to judge the people because of their sins, 
the high priest, and only the high priest, could offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. These sacrifices would, he offered, satisfied God's justice and demonstrated God's mercy by punishing an innocent animal in place of a guilty human being. Now, the high priest was also a sinner, and he had to make a sacrifice for his sins too, as well as the rest of the people. Year after year, there was an imperfect sacrifice made for an imperfect people. This Christ fulfills by offering himself as a perfect sacrifice made clear in Hebrews 5, 7. After making the ultimate sacrifice, death on a cross on the behalf of the sins of mankind, Jesus ascended, passing through the heavens to the Holy of Holies and sat at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 5 goes on to explain how Jesus is the fulfillment of this high priestly role, but better, for he was perfect. The spotless lamb of God who sacrificed, was sacrificed on our behalf providing reconciliation to God for all of our sins. He paid our penalty and satisfied God's judgment and wrath at the cross. The good news is that Jesus was buried in a tomb after dying on a cross, but he didn't just stay there in that tomb. He rose again three days later, And then he ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of the throne of God and is now takes the role of the perfect heavenly high priest before God who speaks on our behalf before him, the Father. This is why Jesus is called the great high priest. For he was sinless. the one who ascended into heaven, as Acts 1 speaks about, is the who of this confession in verse 14. The one who is also promised to come again as he ascended, he will descend and come to restore all things to himself, ushering in a new heaven and a new earth our great high priest is our confession. And now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 Let us come to Jesus and trust him. Give to him your sins, for he's paid the price on your behalf. We must come to a faithful, sinless high priest who was tempted and tried as we are, but did not give in to temptation to sin. He endured all the way to death. This is the reason we hold fast to this confession, which is my third point. Third question, why? Is that Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all kinds of ways as we are. Because Jesus entered into humanity and never succumbed to the temptations of this world, because of this, he understands our weakness. 
Now, obviously, the question arises, how can a man who never sinned truly understand what sin is like? I love C.S. Lewis's quote on this matter. Years ago, C.S. Lewis imagined someone objecting here. If Jesus never sinned, then he doesn't know what temptation is like. He's lived a sheltered life and is out of touch with how strong temptation can be. Here is what Lewis wrote in response to this objection. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after only five minutes simply does not know how it would have been like an hour later or a day later or even a lifetime later. This is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived sheltered lives by always giving in Christ because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only one who knows what the full temptation means. The only complete realist. Jesus understands the battle of sin better than anyone, for he never gave in to sin. He never gave in to the temptations that were surrounding him. Now, some of you may wonder, what is the difference between sin and temptation? Sin, most simply, is doing what is wrong when we know what is right. Temptation is the enticement by either your flesh, the world, or the devil to participate in what is wrong. Temptation is the enticement to participate in what is wrong. The monster of temptation is heavy, is big, and it's strong. But we have a great high priest who endured it all. John Piper gives a great illustration here on some of the temptations Jesus would have endured here on earth as he lived in this world. The temptations would have been Jesus would have been tempted to lie to save his life. He was tempted to steal to help his poor mother when his father died at a young age. To covet all the nice things Zacchaeus ever owned. To dishonor his parents when they were more strict than others. To take revenge when he was wrongly accused. To lust when Mary wiped his feet with her hair and to pout with self-pity when his disciples fell asleep in his last hour of trial. He was tempted to complain to God when John the Baptist died at a whim of the dancing girl. He was tempted to gloat over his accusers when they couldn't answer his questions. Jesus, therefore, can sympathize with your weaknesses because he himself was tempted in every way as we are. Jesus knows the battle of temptation. Now let me ask you, 
in the temptations to sin, what is your first reaction? Is it to run to Jesus? Is it to run near to the throne of grace? Or is it to let your desires for sin overtake your mind and your actions? Do you hold fast to the confession that Jesus Christ is your advocate in heaven, speaking on your behalf and will deliver you and help you in times of need? Do you draw near to the throne of grace in prayer? My hope is that after today, you'll remember to draw near to our great high priest who gives grace to help us in our desperate cries for mercy and needs for help. Do you draw near to the throne of grace when innocent children are murdered? Do you cry out to God when at the deaths of millions of unborn babies every year? When you are tempted, do you draw near to the one who is more powerful than sin and death? Or do you let temptation to sin overtake you? Do you lie and make excuses to yourself and others? Or do you humbly and repentantly draw near to the Father in heaven? I plead with you, draw near to the throne of grace as stated in verse 16, which is my second point of the message today. Point number two, let us draw near. I'll begin this point with the question, where? Where do we draw near? And then after this question, I will ask the question of why do we draw near and how? All of these questions will be answered in verse 16, which says, let us with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Where do we draw near to? We draw near to the throne of grace where our great high priest is sitting. The only possible way for us to draw near to God is that we would have a high priest who speaks to God on our behalf. The only way we can draw near is for one's sins to be forgiven through a sacrificial intercessory ministry of the high priest. I love the illustration Pastor Phil gave uh, to us on this matter of Jesus speaking on our behalf before God as our sacrificial mediator. Often we imagine Jesus saying something like this to God the Father. Oh God, there David goes again. He fell into temptation. God, remember what I did for him. Just give him grace. No. In contrast, Jesus does not passively 
sit. They're casually looking at our sin as though not remembering the suffering he went to to give us this grace. A better example would be something like this. God, please, remember. Remember what I did for David. Forgive David. I love him so much. Lord, I paid the life for his, my life for his sins. Upon a cross, I endured for your wrath. No, please, Father, please do not hold him to his sins. Lord, give him your grace and mercy, for he has come to you asking for forgiveness and help in this time of need. He makes our prayers perfect. This is how we have a throne of grace and not judgment. For Jesus stands before God, speaking and pleading to him for all of our sins. So the why do we draw near to the throne of grace? Well, why? Is that we receive grace and mercy in time of need. We draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy from the Father in heaven, the God who will help us in our times of need, in the times of temptation. He will give us what we need in moments we are tempted to lash out in selfish anger at our loved ones. He'll give us strength and courage when we're tempted not to evangelize this person for the sake of ruining a relationship. He'll help us when we're tempted to complain about how hard life is or the temptation to look lustfully at a woman. He will help even when all the people around you are saying, it's okay. It's just one more drink. It won't hurt anything. He will help when financial crisis strikes and temptation to dishonestly make money comes your way. Or to pout with self-pity when you don't get your way in your marriage or your job. We draw near to the throne of grace when we're tempted to dishonor our parents. We draw near to him to help us in our depression and anxiety. And when that depression and anxiety tempts us to despair of life itself, we draw near to God when we are continually tempted to lie to ourselves saying, our addiction's not that bad. The temptations of this world are great, but we have a great high priest seated at the throne of grace so that we may receive merciful help in time of need. He gives us help when we approach him. How do we draw near to his throne of grace? Well, how we draw near to his throne of grace is with confident prayer. Oh, let us draw near to God's throne with confidence. We approach this throne boldly because we know Jesus has paid it all for our sins already. We know that he is a great high priest who has ascended 
into heaven and who mediates for us. The one who knows our needs better than we do. For he's given us to a spirit to help us in our weaknesses. We can boldly come to the throne of God for he's given us this helper, the Holy Spirit. As Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. For this reason, let us draw near to the throne of grace to help in times of need. Therefore, let us Hold fast to our confession and to draw near to the throne of grace in times of need. To conclude, I encourage you again with the main point of the sermon. And if you take anything away today, let it be, let us draw near to the throne of grace in times of need. Now, although this passage is already very applicable to our lives, I still want to leave you with three points of application. Number one, boldly draw near to the throne in prayer. Hebrews 4, 16. We boldly draw near to the throne of grace in prayer, and we do this by praying. (laughs) You will not escape Sin tempting you by merely gritting your teeth and white-knuckling your way to resistance. No, we humbly turn to our, our focus to the throne of grace where we may receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. This means turning from your temptation towards the throne of grace and coming to his presence in humble prayer. Application point number two, sit in his presence. Be still and know he is God. Psalms 46.10. When we can do nothing else, sit in his presence. There are times in life when you have nothing to give, Words just aren't enough to express what you're going through. Doesn't express the battles you're in. So I ask you to remember during these times of weaknesses and struggle, please, please approach the throne of grace and sit in his presence. Just do as Psalms 46.10 says. Be still. Know that I am God. And remember that his spirit intercedes for you when we don't know what to pray for ourselves. Jesus knows, and he mediates on our behalf. He makes our prayers perfect before the Father, for he's blessed us in Christ with his Holy Spirit. So sit in his presence. And number three, and finally, is memorize and pray scripture pray his word we often don't know what to ask or pray we make the excuse of i don't i don't know what to say i just 
feel like I've prayed everything I can pray. Well, have you found passages that you can pray back to God, that you can praise Him with, that you can lament to? Have you found short passages that help you in the midst of temptation? That you can repeat to yourself and pray back to God in the moment that it seems like temptation would be impossible to escape. So pray these verses back to God and hold God to his promises. Run to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and help in times of need. Father in heaven, God, we draw near to your throne only because of Jesus. God, we ask for your help. For the temptation to sin is heavy and the battle beats us down. Lord, help us. We confess we need you. We praise you that you are sitting on the throne as our great high priest interceding for us. So help us apply these truths of your words to our hearts this day. Pray all these things in your name, O oh God. Amen.